I'm Denise. I'm the Scottish one. And she's a non-fiction editor. And I'm Louise, the English one. And she's a fiction editor. And together, we're the Editing Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Editing Podcast. So this week, we're delighted to welcome our guest, friend and fellow editor, Maya Berger. Yes, hello. Now, we spoke live and briefly to Maya at an editing conference in 2019, and we promised to get her back to talk in more detail. Yep. So one of Maya's editing specialisms is erotica. Now, this is a huge market and some editors won't touch it, but some of us do. And we, Denise and I, wanted to delve a little bit deeper. So Maya, first of all, tell everyone who you are, where you live and a little bit about your editing business. Hello, hello. It's great to be back on the podcast and chatting with you both. Um, I've been editing and proofreading for almost 15 years, and I've been freelance for four of those years. I currently live in Toronto, Canada, although I lived in the UK for many years, and that's where I started my editing career. I edit a mix of fiction, primarily erotica and romance, as we'll talk about today, and speculative fiction, and also nonfiction, largely academic texts in the humanities and social sciences. Uh, I'm also soon going to be offering a series of Excel tools to help other freelance editors manage their business admin data. So Maya, let's start with the foundations because some beginner authors might be thinking, well, it's erotica, it doesn't need editing because readers are only interested in the saucy bits. So what's your take on that? Well, I'd say that the sauce will suffer if it has poor grammar, uh, action that's hard to follow and clunky dialogue, just like any other story the reader won't be able to lose themselves in the fantasy. And uh, I would disagree with the assumption that some people might make that other forms of literary escapism are more important or more worthy of good editing than a steamy story. Uh, And I think that's especially Mm. true in these times of physical distancing. That's Um, a really good point. So um, one thing I'm interested in um, is the discussion about whether it's erotica or whether it's pornography and that's a tricky issue because it's quite a blurry line and we talked about this last year briefly about how one person's norm would be considered a kink to another and even a perversion to someone else so is there a way in which you distinguish them and does it even matter what do do they even need to be separated yes that's a good questions um the line is definitely blurry between erotica and pornography and there's no absolute consensus on where that line is Um, but i would say that with erotica the sex serves the story so the intimate scenes reveal character traits they further the plot and create an atmosphere as well as getting the reader fired up with pornography though the story serves the sex the plot the characters and the setting only exist to make the sex scenes happen and to make them more exciting for the reader Um, Other distinctions that people make, like erotica is well-written and porn isn't, uh, are simply false. Um, As for the line between kink and what some people call vanilla or mainstream, those definitions shift all the time, and sexual Mm. acts that are now uh, discussed and accepted in mainstream culture, like oral sex, were once considered the height of perversion. So trying to distinguish between what's normal sex and what's kinky is not always useful. So Instead, I would encourage authors to be a little more specific when they're describing the erotic content of their stories. So instead of saying, this story is very kinky, it's way out there, which is a pretty subjective judgment. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. They could instead (laughs) say, this is a story about a couple who decide to try swinging, or this is a memoir about my life as a masochist or something like that. I think that's a really good point, because um, that, that sort of whole idea of what's taboo now 
or what's what to what was taboo 20 years ago or 200 years ago you know back in victorian times if a woman showed her ankles it was considered a bit risque whereas you know <laughs> most of us i'm certainly not worrying about that anymore so that i think i, I and i really like the way you made that distinction about what what's being served I thought that I think that's a really useful way of looking at it. Really helpful for editors it's, and all. It's useful and yeah, and it's simple as well. You know, oh. it's you know what is driving the story. I think that's a nice, really nice distinction you've made there, Maya. So, so tell us, Thank how you. do you make sure that that you only receive the sort of adult material that you feel comfortable working on? Um, do you have any advice for how other editors who are thinking about taking on adult material might try to filter their inquiries so that they're appropriate for their own preferences? It's another good question. Um, I would encourage editors to state their preferences on their websites and directory profiles um, as a first right. case. So I state, for example, that I edit romance and erotica, including stories with LGBTQ plus themes and kink content. Uh, you don't need to go into great detail, of course, and you certainly don't need to justify your particular boundaries, whatever they are. But you could state, for example, that you work on stories with um, romantic elements uh, and happily ever after endings, but not taboo themes or non-consensual scenes. And as with mm -hmm. any other project, asking the author for a short description of their text or seeing the full manuscript before you make a quote will inform your choice as to whether to accept that work or not. Mm. That's, that's, yeah. that's really good advice. Um, and I, I think that because that is a question that comes up a lot um, when I've talked to other editors about how, you know, this issue of, sort of how do you sort of control it in a sense. Um, and that one of the problems is that sometimes people are nervous about sort of even broaching the subject on their websites, um, which that's not serving anybody. It just means that potentially authors are wasting their time and, um, and, then, and, we, and then we're getting inquiries we don't want. So, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. The right so, um, authors aren't finding the right editors. Yeah, exactly. Um, so what kind of problems do you see erotica authors coming unstuck with most often? I guess I'm thinking about stuff beyond the usual fiction things, um, like um, viewpoint drops and too many adverbs. Um, are there problems that you see specifically in relation to this genre? Uh, there are a few. I mean, obviously, as you say, uh, erotica authors can be subject to the same um, uh, issues as any other authors, but specifically for erotic content, I find that cliches and repetition are two of the big challenges. Mm. Um, obviously, a cliche can be a very useful shortcut to character development when an author wants to get to the action quickly, but if readers get bored of them, it can take them out of the story. And of course, using archetypes of, you know, a ditzy blonde bombshell and a white able-bodied alpha male can include many readers from imagining themselves within the fantasy and they can alienate people. Mm. Um, an author can suggest inverting tropes or adding more diverse characters to make the story more appealing. Um, and within sex scenes in particular, there can be a lot of repetition for you know, words for actions, body parts and feelings. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So just like uh, any author might have a favorite letter of the alphabet that they use when naming characters and an editor sometimes has to watch for, for too much of that, erotica author, uh, authors can sometimes have favorite adjectives and favorite euth euphemisms. Uh, yeah. That's something to watch for. Yeah. It's a tricky thing, isn't it? Because I noticed that, you know, like with, with, you know, there is that line, you don't want authors don't want their books to sound like Grey's Anatomy. But on the other <laughs> hand, you, there, there are sometimes... Um, I don't know, some sort of slang terms for body parts, which um, actually, so um, 
amusing and if the author's not trying to be satirical or or to get a laugh if they're actually trying to bring sex into the story then they can be distracting and um so it's it, it is a it's a really um, I'm sure there's out there there's some thesaurus of of parts. <laughs> there <laughs> are there, resources. There must, be. there must be, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There are books like um, you know different um, adjectives that are used to describe different body parts. Um, yeah. There's a whole you know, mm -hmm. book full of those mm -hmm. um, and different synonyms and euphemisms for different audiences. You know. Um, yeah. Sure. Different yeah. cultures, even. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, Maya, one of the things I hear editors talking of, about in relation to sort of um, editing erotica, whether or not they work in that field, is about the, um, you know, counting arms and legs and is this physically possible? Is that just a sort of stereotypical thing or do you find that you do have to be careful with how people are presenting a scene to make sure that it actually works properly? Is, is that something you come in, come across often or not not so much? I do sometimes, yes. It is an additional challenge. Mm -hmm. um, I suppose yeah. it's similar to um, authors of stories involving a lot of action, um, you know, crime, yeah, drama, yeah, yeah, like yeah. yeah. Um, anytime mm -hmm. you have a story that's driven by action, actions and characters interacting with each other in a physical space, you need to make sure whether their actions are physically possible and realistic, um, and something that. Yeah. You know, when a, when a reader tries to imagine it, they won't just go, wait a minute, you know, yeah. that's how many arms does this person have? Yeah, and, you know, they, yeah, yeah. Let, they were downstairs a minute ago and now they're yeah. you know, up on, in the attic or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Unless it's science fiction, I suppose there's all sorts of interesting things that can happen there. Yes, and then you just need to make sure that um, whatever the rules are within that universe, the yeah, authors stick yeah. to those. Absolutely. The world building matches, yeah. Yeah, which actually leads quite nicely into uh, my next question, Maya, which is about subgenres, because I imagine that just like any other type of fiction or nonfiction, that the field itself is quite varied. Is that right? Absolutely. Um, so erotica can, of course, include elements of other types of fiction and other genres. So you can have erotic sci-fi, historical erotica, and so on. And there are specific audiences for those subgenres and different conventions that you have to follow within each of those uh, coming together. And within erotica itself, different subgenres will have different types of relationships. So you'll have heterosexual, bisexual, pansexual, or homosexual ones. You'll have monogamy, open relationships, and polyamory consensual or non, long-term relationships or casual sex, and they can also include different types of kinks and sexual acts. Um, I should mention that every kink that you can imagine has authors writing erotica about it mm -hmm. because people want mm -hmm. creative outlets and things like that, yeah. um, although mm -hmm. some are much more niche and will have much smaller audiences than others. Um, and many kink communities will have specific terminology and acronyms that they use when talking about their scenes and their erotic encounters and um, the the objects and the sensations that that fuel their eroticism and uh so the erotica for these communities will often include this type of jargon mm. and that leads into my next question actually because um a fellow editor um recently asked us specifically to talk about specialisms um and so related to that issue of subgenre and everything you've just said um it does raise the question of whether anyone can edit erotica um because it sounds like potentially um, if you're not familiar with that jargon, um, I guess what I'm saying is that um, do you do you think that sometimes it really benefits the author author if the editor is at least familiar with or even engaged with a, a particular scene? So, for example, 
LBGTQ erotica, does the editor have to be part of that scene, part of that community to edit that type of adult material effectively or not? Because, you know, that whole jargon thing that you were talking about there and the language and the, and the tropes and the, um, you know, if they're specific, uh, you could easily end up in a situation where you were editing inappropriately. Yeah, that's a, a very tricky question as well. And it's, it's one that I've heard in other contexts too. So whenever you have an editor or indeed an author working on material that differs from their lived experience and is outside of it, mm. mm -hmm. it's very tricky um, for a couple of reasons. Um, it's not always possible, first of all, to find an editor who meets all of the normal criteria that an author is looking for, like availability at the right time, mm -hmm. price range, editing style, things like that. And also who has direct experience of the groups and activities depicted in the story. Um, also, when it comes to things like being transgender or having kinks, an editor won't always choose to make these personal facts about themselves publicly known, you know, on their website. Or things yes, like that. Uh, good point. Yeah. Um, so I would say that if you can find an editor who ticks all those boxes, you know, Yahtzee, you, <laughs> <laughs> you hit the jackpot and yeah. their, their direct yeah. knowledge will be hugely beneficial, especially if they're editing at an earlier stage, like a developmental edit or a copy mm. edit that includes fact checking and believability and making sure that the story is respectful to all the groups in question. But an editor who doesn't have firsthand experience of a particular scene or orientation or gender identity or relationship dynamic, uh, they can do their due diligence and research while they're editing. Um, so the authors themselves may be able to point the editor towards useful resources about those communities and those um, uh, experiences. Uh, and if an author is actively looking to work within a certain subgenre of erotica, then they should be uh, encouraged to read widely within that genre yeah. or subgenre if possible. Um, and of course, there's always sensitivity readers or authenticity readers, um, people who have lived experiences as a member of the groups depicted in the story to supplement the author's and the editor's knowledge of that community. Yeah, That's great. I think that makes a, that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? And yeah. and and to be honest, it's 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 very much what we would say with any other sort of specialist editing, isn't it? Is that you know 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 your own limitations as an editor, you know, and recognise where you may be um, inexperienced and and potentially missing things because you don't know a specialist subject well enough. Definitely. That's great, Maya. Yeah, so how should authors go about finding and evaluating an editor if they're writing erotica? Do you know of any uh, specialist directories where people offering this service list themselves? Uh, where would your clients find you, for example? There's no specific erotica, uh, erotica editors directory as far as I'm aware, but many clients find mm -hmm. me through the Chartered Institute of Editing and Proofreading, uh, CIEP directory, um, which is... Uh, open to the public and where anyone can search for the name of a specific editor or use keywords such as erotica or kink to find a particular editor who uh, meets their requirements. Yeah. Um, otherwise, people mm -hmm. can find me through my website, what I mean to say.com. Um, in general, uh, authors should look for an editor who's prepared to treat their subject matter professionally and respectfully, um, even if they don't have a ton of experience working within uh, that particular field yet. Um, Obviously, experience editing erotica and testimonials from other clients are always an advantage. But beyond that, just ask the editor about their approach and comfort level with the erotic content in your work. And following on from that, how do you evaluate whether an author is a good fit for you? Do you always see a sample? 
Uh, I do, yes. Uh, I ask for a sample or preferably the full manuscript because the sample may not always be representative of the full work. Yeah, um, yeah. I think that's a good call. Yeah, and, and I do that for all genres and all types of uh, material that I work with, really. Um, sometimes we'll chat by phone or by email um, if the author has preliminary questions or specific areas of concern. And I sometimes do short sample edits when uh, when the author requests it so that they can get a sense of how I work. Yeah, it's, it's so important to get the right fit from both both sides really they have to be comfortable with you and you have Absolutely. to be comfortable with them yeah just like just like any other editorial relationship yeah, really yeah. isn't it yeah. yeah I think that's a good takeaway isn't it that that this mm. this particular genre in in most ways is no different to any other genre of editing you know you need people who are respectful of each other's work and um and who feel they can work together and want to work together yeah yeah it's a lovely takeaway <laughs> I agree <laughs> that's a good summary isn't it yeah <laughs> Maya that was absolutely brilliant thank you so much um, we'll make sure all the links that you've mentioned are in the show notes so that any authors interested in your editing services know how to get in contact with you that's great thank you both so much for having me on I really enjoyed it oh you're, oh, always you're so welcome. welcome I'm sure we'll have you back again <laughs> I'd love to and now it's time for editing bites this is the part of the show where we offer listeners a favourite tool or resource to help them on their writing journey. This week, I'm recommending the Hot Copy podcast. It's presented by Belinda Weaver and Kate Toon, who are Australian copywriters. And it's aimed at copywriters, of course. But I do think a lot of their topics are relevant to anyone who writes or edits nonfiction. So give it a listen if you fancy hearing two other good friends having a chat about their passion. This time, it's an Australian. And mine is The Book Designer, an absolute treasure trove of information about self-publishing curated by Joel Friedlander. In particular, Joel runs the monthly Carnival of the Indies, which is a, a list of brilliant self-publishing tools and resources and articles. Yeah, that's a good one, that one. So that's it for this week. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Thank you so much for listening to the Editing Podcast. You can rate, review and subscribe to us via Apple Podcasts, Spotify or whichever platform you prefer. And once again, we've put all the links we've mentioned in the show notes. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.